48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. China makes a $2 billion US dollar pledge to fight COVID-19. Locally, a possible move to extend a ban on gatherings of more than eight people could affect the June 4th candlelight vigil. And the finger pointing doesn't end after the LegCo House Committee election. China has pledged $2 billion US dollars to the fight against COVID-19. It's also voiced support for a comprehensive review of the global response to the pandemic after it's brought under control. Richard Pine reports. President Xi Jinping pledged $2 billion US dollars over the next two years to help tackle the pandemic, especially in developing countries, in a video speech at the start of the first ever virtual World Health Assembly. Amid questions about the way Beijing handled the outbreak, the president said the country has always had an open, transparent and responsible attitude and had shared information on the virus in a timely manner. Mr Xi also said China supports a comprehensive evaluation of the global response to the epidemic after it's under control. He said the review should be led by the World Health Organization and done with a scientific and professional attitude. Countries such as the United States and Australia have called for a review of the origin and spread of the deadly virus and accused China of a cover-up. Another controversy at the World Health Assembly has to do with Taiwan. WHO member states have unanimously agreed to postpone a decision on granting observer access to Taiwan until later in the year to avoid diverting attention from the pandemic. In Taiwan, Foreign Minister Joseph Wu said despite all its efforts and unprecedented level of international support, the island has not received an invitation from the WHO to join the assembly. He said Taipei had agreed with its diplomatic allies to put off the issue until later this year. Here in Hong Kong, sources say the government will extend a law banning gatherings of more than eight people for another two weeks. As Wendy Wong reports, that could affect the annual June 4th candlelight vigil. It's understood that the government believes conditions are not yet suitable for Hong Kong to relax or cancel social distancing rules in light of a cluster of infections in Chunwan with an unknown source. An elderly couple and a granddaughter came down with the disease after the city saw more than three weeks of cases linked only to overseas travel. Thousands of residents who live in the same Chunwan housing blocks as the latest patients are being checked for COVID-19, but so far none of them have tested positive. Sources say the closure of certain businesses will also be extended for another two weeks, but authorities may relax restrictions imposed on some activities and venues with some conditions. Officials are expected to make an announcement tomorrow at the earliest. An extension until June the 4th means restrictions on gatherings will still be in place on the anniversary of the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. That's usually marked by a large-scale commemoration event at Victoria Park. The LegCo House Committee has re-elected the DAB's Starry Lee as chairwoman in another chaotic session marred by scuffles between security guards and pan-democratic lawmakers. Guards performed a protective cordon around pro-government legislator and finance committee chairman Chan Kin Po, who presided over the election and ejected 14 pan-democrats for misconduct and trying to disrupt the vote. The Civic Party's Dennis Kwok, who himself came under fire for failing to hold an election for seven months, cried foul. The reality in Hong Kong today is that whenever Beijing, whenever Kerry Lam and the pro-establishment don't like something, they will do whatever it takes including breaking the system that we have, the rules that we have. The same goes to one country, two system. The same goes to basic law and the rules of procedure. They will twist, they will tear down, they will burn down whatever is in their way.
Story Leaf says those who question the legality of the election can take the matter to court. We have to act according to law or our rules of procedures. I know that we have uh, some disagreement over certain points. If uh, people believe that they have uh, different views, then I respect their decision or uh, they have their right to seek for clarification, even through court. Ledge co-president Andrew Leung says Secretariat and security staff were obstructed from performing their duties and sustained injuries at the House Committee meeting today, and this has been reported to the police. In a statement issued in his capacity as chairman of the Ledge co-commission, Mr Leung also rejected accusations that staff sided with the pro-government camp, insisting they have all along upheld the principle of political neutrality. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. The exams authority says it still hasn't decided whether to pull in a controversial question in its DSE history exam after holding a council meeting this afternoon. There's no word yet on when it'll meet again. The Education Bureau has ordered the Examinations and Assessment Authority to scrap the question on whether Japan did more good than harm to China between 1900 and 1945, saying it's biased and hurtful to Chinese people. The exam's body says the issue requires careful consideration. It also says it'll work with the Bureau to review how exam questions are generated. Fifteen prominent pro-democracy figures have been granted bail after appearing in the West Kowloon court. They appeared of, they're, I'm sorry, they're accused of involvement in a number of anti-government protests last year. Timmy Sung reports. Democratic Party founder Martin Lee, media tycoon Jimmy Lai, are among those accused of organizing and taking part in up to three demonstrations on August 18th, October 1st and 20th last year. Five of the defendants, former lawmakers Margaret Ng, Leung Kuo Hong, Lee Chak Yan and Sin Ho, as well as activist Figo Chen, face additional charges of inciting either one or two of the protests. The rest of the defendants are Democratic Party's Yuang Sum, Sin Chong Kai, Richard Choi and Albert Ho, League of Social Democrats Raphael Wong and Avery Ng, lawmaker Leung Yu Chong and former lawmaker Ngao Lok Hin. Most of the defendants said they understood the charges they are facing. Raphael Wong told the court that he understood it was a political prosecution and his colleague Avery Ng said what he didn't understand was why the Department of Justice chose only to charge them when so many others had joined the marches. Ngao Lok Hin said the prosecution is unjust and in violation on human rights laws. No pleas were entered. Principal Magistrate Peter Law granted the prosecution's request to have the cases adjourned until the 15th of next month to prepare documents before the trial heads to the district court. Speaking outside court, the activists said they will continue to fight for freedom and democracy. Here's Li Chak Yan. The root of disturbance in Hong Kong is... The Chinese Communist Party destroying, interfering with one country, two system. It is Carrie Lam that sell of Hong Kong depriving our rights and freedom. This is the root of disturbance in Hong Kong. Leung Kuo Hong, for his part, said what is on trial here is human rights in Hong Kong. The government has revealed the penalty arrangement of its wage subsidy scheme if businesses fail to keep their promises to retain all staff. Employers can begin submitting applications from next Monday for the scheme that's aimed at protecting jobs during the pandemic. 
The administration will pay half of workers' salaries for six months with a subsidy for each worker capped at $9,000 a month, but companies must not sack staff during the period. While determining the amount of fines imposed, the Secretary for Labour and Welfare, Lord Chi Kwong, says the government will take into consideration the size of the companies and the percentage of staff laid off. He says MPF records would allow officials to scrutinise applications and prevent the subsidy from being abused. Basically, in the application form, there's no need to declare the salary or the number of employees they employ. What they have to do is to provide the consent so our processing agents can obtain the relevant information from the trustees of the MPF schemes. All those records are historical records, so there's no particular declaration they require. Uh, so that you will be also no exaggerations or manipulation of data, so to speak, because all these things are already part of the history by the time that we announce the details of this scheme. Business News Now, the compiler of the Benchmark Hang Seng Index, has given the green light for the likes of Alibaba, Xiaomi and Meituan Jiangping to become part of the 50-year-old index. The Hang Seng Index's company announced the rule change after the market closed following an industry consultation. Starting from August, companies from Greater China with a secondary listing in Hong Kong and those with two classes of shares carrying different voting rights will be eligible for inclusion in the key index but their weighting will be capped at 5% each compared with the 10% cap for heavyweights like HSBC. China says it will levy 80.5% in punitive tariffs on Australian barley amid a trade row between the two countries. It will take effect tomorrow. The Commerce Ministry in Beijing says Australian subsidies and dumping have substantially damaged domestic industry in its investigation into Australian grain exports. Tensions have risen after Canberra called for an international inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus. Beijing has already suspended beef products from four large Australian firms. Japan is now in recession. GDP shrank for the second straight quarter in the three months ending March. It's the first time since 2015 that the world's third largest economy has gone into recession. Here's the BBC's Marika Oi. This morning's figure wasn't as bad as uh, what economists had expected, uh, but if you look at uh, the data closely, uh, private consumption is down, exports are down, as uh, the global economy is, uh, was in a lockdown. Uh, and there are concerns that in the second quarter of this year, the economy could be even hit harder, uh, because uh, from April to June, uh, April is when the state of emergency was declared, forcing people to stay at home, which means that people couldn't go out to spend their money. Also in Japan, authorities are closing all routes to the top of Mount Fuji, the country's highest summit, to prevent the spread of COVID-19. That story from the BBC's Celia Hatton. Last year, 260,000 people completed the day-long hike up and down Japan's beloved Mount Fuji. But now the authorities are worried that large crowds of hikers might spread the coronavirus during the mountain's normal climbing season from July to September. So all four established paths to the top of the UNESCO World Heritage Site will be out of bounds for the first time since 1960. Countries across Europe have continued to ease their coronavirus restrictions. Schools and museums have reopened in Belgium. Tourists are being allowed back into Greece's archaeological sites. The Czech Republic has lifted its state of emergency. And in Italy, which has endured the longest lockdown, shops, restaurants and cafes have reopened its 
reopened. Its Prime Minister has described the relaxation of lockdown restrictions as a calculated risk. Aurelia Gandola, who owns restaurants on Lake Como, described the steps they were taking. Waiters need to wear masks for the beginning. Customers need to wear masks when they come in. They, of course, won't wear it while seated at the table. We need to get sanitizers around the, the restaurant. Actually, things are picking up and we're waiting for the European borders to open on the 3rd. The entertainment world is mourning the death of French actor Michel Piccoli, a prolific screen star who appeared in landmark films by directors such as Louis Buñuel and Jean-Luc Godard. He was 94. He passed away last week and his family did not give the cause of death. Piccoli's career spanned more than half a century. He appeared in more than 170 movies and was a stalwart of art house cinema. His most memorable appearance came arguably during the French New Wave, starring opposite Brigitte Bardot in Godard's 1963 masterpiece Contempt, with his dark hat and signature bushy eyebrows. Sport and in football, Celtic have been declared champions of Scotland after the league was cut short because of the COVID-19 outbreak. The Scottish Professional Football League says all the clubs agreed there's no prospect of completing the season. No games have been played since March 13th and the final standings were determined by points per game as of that day. Celtic were first, Rangers second at the other end of the table, Hearts were relegated. Bundesliga leaders Bayern Munich have returned to action in style hosting a 2-0 win over Union Berlin. Robert Lewandowski and Benjamin Pavard were the goal scorers for Bayern. In another match, Mainz came from behind to draw 2-2 with Cologne. The resumption of play in Germany on the weekend was welcomed warmly by fans who have been craving action. It also attracted more than 6 million viewers in the country, more than double the usual audience. Lutz Fannenstiel is sporting director at Dusseldorf. He says the new match day experience has eased some of the players' worries about returning to action. We are tested two times a week. Also, the family members are tested once in a while. We got a clear feeling from the players that they do feel safe. I honestly also felt very safe myself because being tested on a Tuesday, for example, and on a Friday, 24 hours before kickoff or a little bit more, I think 30 hours before kickoff, it tells me that 11 healthy players plus the bench players plus the coaching staff are all healthy and they're playing against the team which has the same test that they're healthy. So literally the risk that there is somebody who is positive involved in the stadium is very, very small. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. China makes a two billion US dollar pledge to fight COVID-19. Locally, a possible move to extend a ban on gatherings of more than eight people could affect the June 4th vigil. And the finger pointing doesn't stop after the LegCo House Committee election. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's news wrap program. DAB lawmaker Holden Chow has welcomed the re-election of his party's leader, Starry Lee, as chairwoman of LegCo's House Committee. The election took place after more scuffles erupted at a committee meeting. With the pro-establishment camps Chan Kin Poor taking charge of the election, they were finally able to put an end to seven months of gridlock at the House Committee, which drew the ire of both the SAR and central governments. Mr Chow told Jim Gould that he expects the pan-Democrats to challenge the legitimacy of the election. Is definitely done straight in accordance with the rule because you know 
the pandemic have been paralyzing the entire operations of the House Committee for more than half a year to stop us from electing the chairman. So right now, Mr. Leung, the electrical president, president. Uh, announced that he would make use of his power in accordance of Article 92 of the Rules of Procedures to assign Mr. Chan Kim-po to hold the election procedure. So I believe that this is definitely done straight in accordance with our Rules of Procedures. So I agree with that. And the second thing is, of course, we are happy to see that finally we finish or complete the election process, having gone through all the chaos done by the pandemic. But at the same time, I would like to denounce the behavior done by the pan-democrat lawmakers in the chamber. Because as you would see, they try to use a black cloth to cover what they did, actually. Behind the black cloth, they could have uh, sort of assaulted uh, some of the security guards in the chamber. So this is definitely unscrupulous, and I, I surely denounce their behavior. And at the same time, at the same time, I'm the, I, I find it very disappointing to see these pandemocrats not only use very disruptive behavior, but even violence in the chamber uh, to, to, to against all the rules or procedures uh, in the chamber. And, and, and one more thing is perhaps they are against the law by seeing what they did in the, in the chamber this morning. I'm sure that we should report to the police and I hope that uh, if they're against the law, a proper, uh, a proper prosecution should be required to handle these things. Okay, uh, the, the pan-democrats say they won't recognize Starry Lee as the chairwoman of the House Committee, so are you expecting more trouble ahead? Well, I'm sure that they are finding every excuse to try to paralyze the House Committee meeting or sort of paralyze the entire electrical functions. And right now, again, they use the same kind of excuse by denying the legitimacy of this meeting. And this is definitely an excuse and it's groundless. And uh, I expect that in uh, going forward, they might use or they might continue to use violence or very disruptive behavior uh, to deal with a electrical meeting or house committee meeting or anything else. But at the same time, I would stress that we need to be prepared. And of course, uh, I think whoever chairs the meeting, they must be prepared to make sure that security guards or all the security measures are in place to deal with this sort of disruptive behavior. But at the same time, again, I would stress that this disruptive behavior or even against the law or even use violence, this is definitely unacceptable to the public. And um, I think I have to make that very clear. Now, the central government had been strongly critical of the paralysis and filibustering in the House Committee. Um, is that what stirred the pro-establishment side uh, to take action to resolve it? Well, you see, all along, we have been urging the pan-democrats to uh, sort of stop doing this or disruptive behavior. Starting from the end of last year, we have already been pressing the pan-democrats they should stop doing this very disruptive behavior in the House Committee meeting. And we have given them a lot of warning too. So we have already been asking them to stop doing these sort of things. But um, it seems that they turn a deaf ear to what we advise.
And um, I'm sure that having gone through this half a year, all the chaos, uh, enough is enough. I think it's time to really bring it to an end. And it's also time for us uh, to bring back the peace of the chamber and to resume the functions of the, uh, of the electoral chamber. The airport authority is said to have yielded to pressure from contractors to pay them an additional $8 billion through contingency funds in order to complete the third runway on time. The Mingpao newspaper reported that contractors working on the massive reclamation had warned that a shortage of marine sand could see the $141 billion project delayed by up to two years until 2026. They're said to have first demanded $16.8 billion more, but later agreed to halve the amount. Last year, airport officials admitted that the shortage of filling material had led to an 18-week delay in the project. Ambrose Lin, the chief executive of the Hong Kong Construction Materials Association, expects the supply of marine sand to remain tight. He spoke to RTHK's Timmy Sung. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the demand for marine sand over the past few months has been very exorbitant, very tight. So I do expect that, you know, well, in the coming years, one or two years, the demand will be will be increasingly tight, unfortunately, I, I have to say. What about the, the prices of these uh, marine sands? At the moment, demand for marine sand in China uh, has been uh, equally tight because, you know, well, uh, they have just resumed uh, the construction projects especially the reclamation projects in China. So, you know, well, I do expect that, you know, well, price-wise, there will be some slight adjustments. Needless to mention Hong Kong, okay, you know, if, the, if the marine sand is shipped into Hong Kong, I believe, you know, including the logistics and transport fees, the price will be even higher. The percentage, I believe, there will be roughly around 20%. How will that... Um, the fluctuation of uh, filling materials, the supply of uh, filling materials, and also the increase in prices affect uh, local constructions in Hong Kong? For marine sand, I don't think you know it won't have any significant impact on the local construction. Because as you understand, you know we don't use marine sand for construction. Marine sand is primarily used for reclamation projects as one of the few materials. For construction, we they usually use a river sand, or as an alternative, we are uh, we have started using the manufactured sand instead for construction, but not marine sand definitely. So the increase in prices for marine sands and also the the, the tight supplies of marine sands will, you know, will be a bad news for uh, people doing uh, reclamation works. Yep, definitely. You know well. So uh, uh, instead of China, I believe you know, some of the uh, supplies are already sourcing from Southeast Asia, like Philippines, Cambodia, and Malaysia. For uh, export of marine sand out of these Southeast Asian countries, uh, uh, the, the local governments in the world, they are realizing the situation. So, you know, they have uh, already started imposing some restrictions on the export of marine sand out of the country. Responding to media inquiries, the airport authority says it still aims to complete the third runway in 2022 and commissioning of the entire three-runway system in 2024 within budget. It says a stable supply of filling material has been secured for the reclamation works. 
Some of the European countries hardest hit by the COVID-19 pandemic have been reporting encouraging drops in the daily number of deaths to levels roughly comparable to when their lockdown started. Several countries, including Italy and Spain, are now easing their lockdowns. Anna-Marie Evans asked RTHK's UK-based correspondent Gavin Gray if those countries are ready to relax restrictions. Well, it's a question which I think if you ask the residents, they would say absolutely. If you ask the medical experts, I think they'd be slightly more cautious about this. For the first time, many people in uh, Italy and Spain are actually able to enjoy the most freedom that they've enjoyed for months. Italy was the first big economy to go into a lockdown, perhaps the most severe lockdown. We are now seeing uh, people able to get out and about in restaurants, bars, cafes, hairdressers and shops. Although social distancing is being enforced, so restaurants have had to um, uh, take out some seats uh, and hairdressers are having to wear face masks. So there are restrictions, but at the same time, a big moment, I think, of joy for these two countries, though a great deal of cautious optimism, however, needs to be added to that. Yes, I was going to say, I mean, you know, the lockdown in Italy, for example, has been very, very stringent, hasn't it? Indeed it has. I mean... In Italy, people just were simply not going out uh, aside. It started off, of course, in the north of the country uh, and then uh, spread further away. And indeed, it's not been much friendlier in Spain, where children were being kept in as well. Can you imagine that in an apartment and in hot weather? Children were being kept in. They simply weren't allowed out. The only uh, exceptions to that, of course, were for food and basic medicines. But other than that, it has been a complete lockdown. So change of policy is a very big moment, I think, for these countries. Um, And indeed, it's a a moment that I think uh, some of them have been desperate for. The question is, has the government timed this right? And as Portugal, Greece, Denmark and Ireland are also set to relax their lockdown measures, plenty of people are asking, is this too early or is a second spike in the infection rate inevitable, whatever we decide to do? Indeed. And, uh, you know, there are some warnings coming in from health authorities, including the WHO. Yes, yes. And that is a big concern. So what the World Health Organization director uh, for Europe is saying is that actually, look, instead of everyone going out and celebrating, we should now be preparing. Now, you might ask, preparing for what? Well, Dr. Hans Kluge, the director of the World Health Organization European region, believes, I'm afraid, that uh, there will be a surge in infections that could coincide with other seasonal diseases like flu. So here we are in May, the start of the British summer, um, and the concern is across Europe that as the temperatures dip again, there may well be another surge in COVID-19, particularly, of course, as it coincides with more people being able to get out and about, the lockdown being reduced, and that is bound to lead, I think, to an increase in the so-called R rate or the reproduction rate of this virus. And um, this particular uh, expert is saying, you know what, we have to look at the example of the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. That killed 50 million people. But Anne-Marie, it didn't happen in one big surge. Instead, Spanish flu actually came in three waves. The spring of 1918, the autumn of 1918, and then a year later, the winter of 1919, it came back again. And that's the fear that this doctor has for the pandemic here in Europe. 
It sounded like a good idea. Instead of football matches being played in empty stadiums during the pandemic, a South Korean football team thought it would fill the seats with mannequins, but it didn't go to plan, as the BBC's Seoul correspondent, Laura Bicker, explains. The K-League has been playing for a couple of weeks now in front of empty stadiums. In fact, it's even been broadcast on the BBC as people desperate for a sport are kind of watching K-League soccer, which is the kind of first sport in the world to kind of start getting going. However, obviously with these empty stadiums, it seemed a, a nice idea to fill them. So some company came along to Seoul FC and said, hey, look, what if we put some mannequins in there? And Seoul FC said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Now this company was called Dalcom. Unfortunately, Seoul FC didn't look into the company. And when the mannequins turned up, we spoke to the press officer today and he told us that he was aware that they looked, um, how should we say, more human than normal. But he thought maybe this was the kind of premium mannequin that he was getting. When the game was broadcast, this was Seoul FC against Guangzhou. The cameras panned to the stands and a number of shocked viewers who were kind of looking at these, shall we call them, premium mannequins in tight Seoul FC football strips, noticed them and started sharing their pictures on social media, quite shocked because they believed they were indeed sex dolls. And now remember, pornography isn't legal in South Korea, but they were advertising some websites which seemed to have been for certain viewership. And so Seoul FC certainly has apologised. The company claims they were premium mannequins and not X-rated adult toys. But it seems difficult um, to believe that perhaps that they were premium mannequins when they were holding such signs. And when you look at them, again, I'm not going to go into specific details, but it's not the kind of premium mannequin I've seen in a local department store. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. To prevent the spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a liter of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets, and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. Remember. to remember that's what this program is all about Ray Cudero with you from now until 1am this is our kind of music
been a theme song. It's so very popular, it's unbelievable. The Green Leaves of Summer. Played by Johnny Pearson and his orchestra. Here's a man who knows all the old favorites, and I do mean all. Dear one, how often I think of the past Can it be you forget? A chance was a passion to wondrous to last But I dream of it yet I see you again as you gaze in my eyes With joy all alight So fondly you'd hold me as softly you told me of love through the star-sprinkled night. Richard Tauber. Sweet summer breeze, whisper 